welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad that you're back with us this Tuesday. We've got a very interesting show for you today. I'm very excited to get to it. It is the second part of our series on prison slave labor. And before we get to that, let me chat with my co-host for a minute, Lou Wise, and see how things are going up at uh, HQ and what's happening in the news, Lou. Well, I haven't finished buttoning up my orange suit yet, uh, so <laughs> give me a, give me a second or so. Now, everything's going great. Actually, I'm preparing to head off to Washington to the National Press Club event regarding the next president's first 100 days in the White House. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be interesting, but I'm not sure which president they're going to be talking about. So I'll find out when I get there, I guess. Um, okay, postscript. Uh, last, uh, last week. Um, the Institute of Supply Management came out with their PMI number of 49.4, which distresses us who are in manufacturing. Of course, the uh, forecasters, uh, uh, Brad uh, Holcomb, committee chair of the ISM, feels it's not quite as bad as it might look. Um, I beg to differ with him, but in any event, uh, Chris, Dr. Chris Keel was on from Armada Corporate Intelligence and also the economist for the FMA. Uh, and as well, he's uh, with the Credit Managers uh, Index. And uh, we had a real interesting conversation going back and forth. One saying things are good, another one saying things are bad. And I think you're going to have to make your own determination on that. So I strongly suggest that you listen to Last week's show, it was on 9-16-2016, and uh, get your own sense of it and see uh, where those numbers match with your companies and your manufacturing uh, information. So uh, that said, uh, let's jump to the news. Uh, A couple of news items, and uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio has been following this story and talking about it for quite some time, actually probably more than a year now, having to do with XM Bank. Uh, It seems as though that uh, there are 15 um, uh, organization groups that have submitted a letter yesterday uh, to the congressional leadership uh, to uh, change the requirements on the quorum that uh, Mr. Richard Shelby has uh, refused to uh, authorize a new member so that the members can vote successfully on giving more money than $10 million to companies like Boeing and GE and so on. It's costing us a fortune by us not being able to do the kind of business that they're made to do. And uh, matter of fact, GE moved two weeks ago to Canada. They did. Yeah, because they couldn't get the funding for uh, the proper loans that they needed. So they picked up and moved, and our buddies up to the north of us took them in with open arms, and uh, I'm sure they're going to have somewhere around 500 new employees. Um, 
But then again, they're close enough that people, Americans might be able to go across the border, get a job in Canada. That's right. You know, the Canadians are so nice and friendly and all of that. That's right. Next item. And uh, this is kind of new to me. I had not seen this before. BP Oil, British Petroleum. They released their fourth annual U.S. Economic Impact Report. Basically, what it looks like to me is that BP is trying to show the American people how great they are and that they really are doing wonderful things for our country. And the fact of the matter is they are. So we should not be all that upset with allowing them to be here and letting them do what they do because the money that they make actually goes back into our economy. And let me just give you a couple of stats here so you have a better understanding. Uh, they employ in the United States 14,000 employees. There's an additional 130,000 jobs related to the, the 14,000. The national impact, uh, economic impact to this country in 2015 was $80 billion. That's, uh, that's a lot of moolah. BP's investment since 2006 in the United States has been $90 billion most of it regarding energy. They also, and this one I did not know, they, uh, they are the largest marketer of natural gas in North America, selling mm. enough, yeah, selling enough uh, natural uh, gas to supply the daily needs of France, Germany, Spain, and the United Kingdom. So that's, uh, that's a pretty impressive number. And you get the it's a lot of gas. Uh, Melantic can probably take care of that. That's right. Uh, so what else do we got here? Uh, they uh, BP donated more than $147 million in the past five years to community groups through a wide range of sponsorships, events, and, and activities. So uh, BP, thanks. We appreciate it. We're not coming back to England, but we do appreciate your efforts here. <laughs> so um, I think at this point we uh, have a, sh a short uh, commercial break, and uh, we'll see you when that's over. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Michael Manch, who is CEO and president of Pennsylvania Apparel. 
And the discussion today is about his experience with both the federal government and federal prison industries and what's that, what that has done not only to the apparel industry but to manufacturing in America because what's happening, as you know from the shows that we've been doing, is that manufacturers are competing with federal prison industries and several state-run uh, labor shops inside prisons. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate your having me. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. This is a struggle you have had for quite some time. So why don't you give our listeners kind of the background of when this began to surface its ugly head? Uh, For our company, we're a small business manufacturer. We make products primarily for the Department of Defense. I started with my company in 1974. So I'm in my 42nd year of doing this. And It was a solid, stable business. We're a small business. We have two plants, one in Kentucky and one in Mississippi. Uh, We did have two plants. One of them is now closed as a result of of FPI. As far as it went, in the late 90s, federal prison industries, we got advised by the Department of Defense, was going to take the primary product that we ran in our Kentucky plant. We had run it for 10 years. It was a product that was supplied for everybody in the Navy got one. It was, a, it was a, known as a windbreaker. It was a, it was a fleece lawn jacket, and everyone got one. We got a call one day out of nowhere that FPI was going to take it. We obviously had no idea that this was even possible. The government then said they are willing to defer to you for a year and let you survive one more year. You can keep it for one more year at which time we're going to take it away from you, and they did. And I became an advocate of change for federal prison industries. I belong to a trade association, um, the largest uh, trade association for apparel manufacturers, uh, known as the American Apparel and Footwear Association. Um, I am currently the chairman of the government contracts committee of that group and have been for the last 10 years have been to testify before Congress numerous times, and yet I still sit in the same place, and at the moment my Kentucky plant is closed because there's no work for it. So that should give you some background. How many many people did you lose in your Kentucky plant? Uh, When we closed it, we had approximately 85 people in there. So 85 people lost their jobs. Not offshore, but lost jobs to the U.S. government. That's correct, and we continue to lose jobs as we speak to federal prison industries where uh, federal prisoners are taking jobs away from taxpayers. I just want to be clear on that point, that really the point is that taxpayers are losing jobs to inmates through Absolutely, positively. I mean, it's outrageous. Uh, It would be great if inmates were producing something we didn't produce in this country. It would be okay if they were producing – well, I'm not sure it would be okay what they're producing because we're trying to unravel this onion and peel it back. Um, Michael Knight, when you were uh, working with the American Apparel and Footwear Association and you were called or did you uh, somehow get before Congress, and what happened in that discussion? Well, there have been various hearings over the years by various um, – generally it's, con- it, it's, it's congressmen and a, and a congressional committee rather than a Senate committee that looks at this. 
okay. the Senate, the the Congressional Judiciary Committee has looked at it, continues to look at it. The Congressional Small Business Committees looked at it. I've testified at three separate hearings over the years, starting in the late 90s. Nothing comes of them. There's a lot of talk, but ultimately the program survives. I mean, one interesting point, and, and for maybe your listeners, is that the U.S. government actively enforces a ban on importing anything into this country that's made with prison labor. And yet right. they turn around and they freely buy products made with prison labor for our soldiers. It's unbelievable, and, but it is. And there are and there are uh, problems, quality problems with some of the products that do go to the DOD. Uh, two weeks ago, it was the uh, Department of Justice that ruled that no more contracts are going to be going for military hardware to FBI and the like. Yeah, that was the issue of the defective helmets. Right. right. Was, yeah. Yeah. FBI, FBI actually canceled their contract for private prison systems for, for uh, essentially dorm rooms, uh, cells for prisoners. But uh, Unicor, which is doing all of this contracting, is still in full operation. Um, well, Michael, you make a very interesting point, and I want to make sure our listeners understand it. The federal government has federal statute that says the United States will not buy products made, probably cleverly worded, made overseas by prison labor. That way the overseas uh, phrase allows them to buy product made in the United States. By prison labor. So we stick our finger in the eye of China and we say, ooh, prisoner abuse, prisoner abuse. We do the same let's, thing here. Let's not forget to mention about the 16 cents to a dollar a quarter an hour that they get paid in the prisons where they get paid. There's right. four states that they don't get anything. Right. Uh, Texas, Georgia, Alabama, and I and New I Jersey. And is New it New Jersey? Jersey? It is, is indeed. Right? All right, yes, we is. come up in the numbers again. <laughs> the um the the actual wage rates for federal prison industries, it begins at 23 cents an hour and it tops out at a dollar and 15 cents an hour after 7 years on the job. <laughs> they have a pay scale. We've seen oh it. <laughs> there is a there is a pay scale that inmates are provided. We had a we actually at one time in one of our facilities employed a a federal prisoner that had been released and he worked for us and he actually showed us the document that listed the wage scale. So there is a wage scale. And a portion of their money that they earn some of it does go, I believe, to restitution if people that they've harmed uh, the reason they're in prison. Some of that money that's generated goes to restoring their victims. Right. Yeah, I'm I sure that's, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine how long they have to work to restore a quarter of a million dollars. Exactly. I mean, really. At 23 cents an hour. That's right. correct. And, and it continued along that line. There is no workers' comp. There are no workplace health and safety standards. 
They do not pay taxes. They do not have health care issues. Regulatory issues are non-existent for federal yes. prison industries, FPI or Unicor, however you want to phrase it. Yes, and I understand that in terms of health care, the health care they get is they go see the prison doctor, and if he clears them for work, they must work. It's not optional. So well, it's actually a, considered considered a plum to get a job in one of the factories rather than be idle in a federal I prison. Can, I can believe that, sitting around pumping iron in the yard and uh, whatever else that they might do to try to keep their sanity. Uh, I can understand that. But if you uh, try to compete with this, I mean, if you think about a private business enterprise, trying to compete against that. You can understand the difficulty. It's it's impossible. It clearly well, it is, is. Yeah, their the wage scale is too low. It's, and it's the, impossible. And the jobs that are coming back to the United States, and I use quotes on that, are jobs that companies uh, may be similar to Walmart and others that they don't want to pay the 3 $4 an hour average salary in China when they can get it for 75 cents an hour in the United States. That's why they left in the first place. The the federal prison industries, as I understand it, is trying to branch out into commercial work. They are making an effort to find commercial customers here in the United States, which becomes, again, even more amazing knowing that the U.S., the United States of America, bans imports of any product that was made with prison labor, and yet our prisoners are being allowed to do this and take work away from tax-paying Americans. And you're and not the only guy who suffered this. You're not I'm the not only the guy only guy. Uh, Michael, how many people in your association spoke out against this? Were any of them subject to this kind of uh, uh, victimization from FBI or Unicor? Well, the the program is is a very insidious sort of event, the way it works right now. That there's a certain grouping of products that are are set aside under the mandatory sourcing provisions. So federal prison industries gets those without having to do anything. And from a pricing perspective, their pricing is generally comparable to what a commercial company would charge. So if I charge $30, they would charge $30 because they don't have to compete for it. Right. The way the law reads, if they've hit 5% of a market of a particular product category, they now get to compete for it. And what you see is that the price drops way down when they're actually forced to compete. Federal agencies follow the rules. They're following the contracting rules, which – allow them to get a lower price for things, and the bar gets set for me and all the commercial companies where federal prison industry chooses to set it. Their labor content can be whatever they want it to be. At $0.23 an hour, they can price it a whole lot differently than I can. Paying a worker for argument's sake, the least I can pay a worker is $8 an hour. The least. Right. That's not what most people pay, but that's the least you could get by with. And they're paying $0.23. Cents. So how or would less. I compete or less? In addition, 
they buy from an equipment perspective. I know this because I'm in the my my industry. They buy brand new equipment. They buy automated equipment, which goes against the principles that FPI was established for, which was to employ the most inmates. Automation mm-hmm. de-skills operations, so you need fewer inmates, and yet they go out and they buy state-of-the-art automation for products. Nobody seems to to care. DOD certainly doesn't care because they're able to pay lower prices. Michael, I'm going to ask you a, a real way out off the wall question, or maybe it's not that far off the wall and you've thought about it yourself. Um, the what's what's the likelihood of uh, finding a solution to this and uh, getting these people out of I think a significant portion of the inmates are uh, uh, low drug uh, charges that shouldn't be in prison probably in the first place. Wasn't there something this week, Tim, where uh, a marijuana charge prisoner was released after 21 years and a (laughs) rapist was released after seven months? After three months, yes, that's right. That that happened uh, last week, both events. That's that's correct. That's correct. I, I think there has to be. I, I certainly think there has to be a public outcry. I mean, there really has to be. The, the public has to get to understand. One of the things we've been trying is our trade association. We have written formal letters to all the presidential candidates, trying to get this on somebody's radar screen, that one of the candidates would actually talk about this be given the information and led to un- to understand what's really happening here. And maybe one of them would actually get it before the public and agree to do something about it. So far, I can't say we've, we've had any success because neither of the two major candidates have responded to the letter. And again, it's my, terribly frustrating. My opinion, Michael, is that you're not going to get any politician to put his neck that far out on the chopping block. That's right. number one. Number two, and maybe even worse, is that the media is going to do zip up because they are the ones that have the advertisers who are using private prisons. Tim and I have seen a list. I'm not going to go over the names that are on the list. They are all U.S. company product-oriented companies that are on this list that have been using prison labor in the United States. So if they go on television and and expose the fact that one of our larger uh, department stores is using U.S. prisoners, uh, they lose advertising. Well, on the other side of that, both political candidates, all the political candidates, Talk about how they are going to bring jobs and manufacturing back to the United States. Mm-hmm. So how incredible is it that they're silent on what they're going to do about Unicor, which gobbles up those very jobs as soon as they can be brought back to the U.S.? It's not just apparel. They do printing. They make furniture. They have call centers. 
I mean, they, they publish an annual financial statement. It doesn't tell you much, but it gives people an idea of the scope of their business, which I gather is in, in well in excess of $500 million a year in sales. That's a pretty large business. I've seen um, their catalog. $500 million, yes. Actually, with numbers Lou and I are saying are well over $2 billion. $2 billion is the number that we're hearing touted around. Uh, the 42-page... The catalog that FBI puts out is a catalog it's a list it's a catalog list of every product they make and there are many 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 commercial products in that catalog and that's not what this is supposed to be about well you know the, the, the mandate of federal federal agencies are obligated to buy products from federal prison industries, Unicor. Correct. Correct. And they don't have any choice because that's how the law is written. Laws are written. So unless we go there, none of this is going to change. And they're going to continue to grow, if anything. Well, they're growing because they're delving into the retail market. Mm Mm-hmm. They're making yeah, retail products today. Well, they're growing in my in my industry, in 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 the apparel, in terms of the military apparel market. They're growing right. the size of their business. They are not shrinking. They are not giving back. They are not allowing more Americans to be employed. They continue to decimate my industry to the point where there's not going to be an apparel industry in ten years. It's just not going to work for any of us. It doesn't. It doesn't exist on in Manhattan on Sixth and Seventh Avenue anymore either. It doesn't exist. It, it's not going to exist between federal mandates that constantly grow on small companies like ours. You know, there's, there's constantly new new requirements and new rules that that we all have to operate with. Certainly, the the introduction of um, Obamacare. And healthcare requirements, if you have 50 or more employees, has changed the landscape. In my world and a lot of worlds, the extra costs involved, the constant drumbeat that minimum wage should go to $15 an hour right now, which I think right. is a wonderful idea. If, if I could get the U.S. government to pay me enough money to pay workers $15 an hour, they want me to pay $0.23 cents an hour like federal prisons pays their workers. That's DOD's seemingly intent for people like but, me. I should match their price structure. It, it seems it seems as though that there is an incentive for the government to maintain the, the prisons either through them, where they probably do a lousy job, and then the private prisons that run a profitable business. But in either case, the, uh, there's an incentive to continue this system uh, as uh, uh, rigged as it is. I mean, the the, the uh, government's got to pay X amount of dollars per bed. If the bed is empty or the bed is filled, they have to pay for the bed. So there's incentives to keep people in prison longer. There's an incentive to raise bail or to even not allow bail to be issued. Um, There's all kinds of incentives that are going on that are are helping to perpetuate this because I think you said it before, this is a money game. 
One is the, the the last piece of it that there is a very substantial bureaucracy that runs Unicor now in Washington D.C. Sure. You have sure. contracting officers and managers and program managers and people that work actually in the plant supervisory people. That bureaucracy needs to be fed. That they grew sure. the bureaucracy to match the work levels, so the more work we get, the more people we need. Mm-hmm. And now you got an entrenched bureaucratic structure in Washington, D.C. that needs to be paid. We don't want right. to miss that part. The taxpayer, again, Goodness. pays for that in a different way. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, uh, by, by the way, just, of, uh, just one more moment, Tim. Uh, just as a point of information, we did invite – uh, F- FPI to the show today. Uh, we asked them if they would like to join and, into the discussion, and they sent back an email asking us to forward to them the questions that we're going to ask, <laughs> and then they will send back a yes or no as to whether they'd be on the show or not. Uh, we're putting together that uh, list. Uh, Hopefully they will give us some answers or have someone come on the third show of, uh, this is our second, the third show of prison slavery in America. So uh, they've been put on notice and uh, love to have them on. I would be surprised if they appeared. And the reason I say this, the last hearing I did was scheduled at 10 o'clock in the morning. Everybody arrived. The chairman of that subcommittee, and I believe it was it was either judiciary or small business in the in the House of Representatives. Before the right when the hearing was going to start, what he announced was that federal prison industries would be given the opportunity to testify, and then they had another engagement, and were going to leave, and the rest of this would not get to testify until four hours later in the afternoon. That's what we got told. So. FPI made its statement and immediately left and was not subjected to any questioning. Beautiful. That's how it operates. It was. And, of course, all the rest of this had come to Washington. There were – it wasn't just me representing apparel. There was a furniture manufacturer. There was, I believe, a printing company. Various other small businesses that had either lost their businesses entirely or were being impacted. And they never got a shot at FPI. They gave their statement, turned around, and left. That's how it operates. They're above um, having to have conversations like this. Clearly, I'm FBI sure. I'm and sure. Corps is being protected by the federal government they serve. Uh, I just want to give some, uh, kind of a, a brief history lesson uh, for our listeners, and I, and I hope our listeners are getting uh, worked up, if not uh, incensed by this. Keep in mind that uh, in, uh, I believe it was 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slaves in the midst of the Civil War. And we all thought, ooh, great country, good country. Then in 1865, 25 of the 37 then states ratified the 13th Amendment, recreating slavery it just happens to be in prison. And if you read the 13th Amendment, it's very clear that it allows slavery for incarcerated individuals. So the government that freed the slaves recreated slavery just in a different form. 
Then in 1934, President Roosevelt issued an executive order which created federal prison industries. And Michael is right. In about 1978, federal prison industries started to branch out. They're now becoming like a, a silent cancer eking out into the uh, manufacturing world, taking manufacturing jobs away from um, American taxpayers. Let's be very clear that American taxpayers have lost their jobs to inmates, and it's not ending. And Michael's been on before Congress three times. He's talked with uh, Senator Carl Levin, a former senator from Michigan, uh, I understand in that meeting, uh, Michael, that this is really a line item transfer of money within the federal government to benefit uh, both justice and DOD. So it's, you know, we see how well they handle the budget overall. This doesn't sound like it's going to change anytime soon, if at all. What would you, what would you say to that, Michael? Well, the, the first thing I'd say is I hope your listeners do get upset as they listen to this. I hope that every 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 American would get upset and how they'd feel whether their their son or their daughter or their mother or father or or perhaps even their their um, grandmother or grandfather lost their job so an inmate could work somebody that committed a crime and was in jail for it and takes your job or your relative's job away from them it just doesn't seem quite fair and. As far as what we were told by by a, a kind of high staff member to Senator Levin at the time, they called it a transfer of money between the Department of Defense and the Department of Justice, that it's a line item in a budget, in whether it be one budget or both budgets, and that certainly any state that had a federal prison, the political representation in that state was going to maintain – want to maintain that prison – and these dollars flowing into the community. I mean, one of the arguments that FPI makes is that they 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 take a lot of money and give it to small businesses. Well, it's really an unfair comparison. They buy fabrics and components from the same supply chain that I would. So what they're saying is if they get paid $20 for something and $10 of it is fabric and components – they spend that on small businesses. Well, so do we. So would I. I would buy it from the same small businesses that they do. So they make it sound like they're doing something that's really good. They're not doing anything that's really good. They're perpetuating a situation where jobs are being lost to Americans, and the apparel industry, in my case, is going to slowly die. The military apparel business is already slowly dying. More and more of the work is going to federal prison industries. Now, you make a very interesting point there, Michael, that more and more of the work is going to federal prison industries and their, their for-profit enterprise, Unicor. The only way any business, I don't care what the business is, can do more work is if it has more workers. And if you take a look at sentencing guidelines, they're recommending longer sentences for, uh, for instance, a, a cannabis uh, a possession they're, the federal bail bondsmen are looking for, sorry, the bail bondsmen are looking for higher bail amounts 
because they want to make more money too and have the boat and the the nice cars. So their 10% that they're locked into just needs to be 10% of a bigger number. Everything that begins to, to tie into this onion, if you peel it back, looks like that this is a self-feeding beast. We need more workers, so we put pe- more people in prison for longer periods of time. I, I think that's what's happening, unless I'm reading it wrong, Michael. Well, it can be, again, they the moment they exceed 5%, market share of a particular product category based on that's generally based on a federal supply code. Once a year the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition they do their homework, they look at statistically where it is and they publish a list of any federal supply class where federal prison industries has exceeded 5%. At that point what FPI is allowed to do is compete but they're allowed to compete as a small business and to move into a even worse category. FPI, Federal Prison Industries, is considered a small business, a small disadvantaged business, <laughs> a oh um, a small a small business hub zone, which is an area of high unemployment. They are, are going also for women con- owned. Uh, no, well, they could. <laughs> they are qualified also as a service-disabled veteran-owned business. They have thousands and thousands of employees. The size standard for small business in the apparel industry is 750 people. They far exceed 750 people, and yet under the law, they are qualified as a small business. They can take work away from areas of high unemployment where it's set aside a solicitation, work is set aside to be put in an area of high unemployment, federal prison industries is considered qualified and allowed to take that work. Does anybody see anything wrong with that? <laughs> and again, nobody is nobody bats an eye within government and and there's recently been some information provided by DOD on why they think that's acceptable, that they believe under the law that's considered okay. Isn't that where the cash flow is coming from? Well, it's yeah. Well, the, if you want to take everything back to the money and the bureaucratic structure and keeping everything right. in place, that's what well, you're seeing. And, and quiet. Let's also it's all keep very in quiet. Mind, let's also keep in mind that when they say under the law, they're the guys making and passing the law. This is the fox guarding the hen house. And they choose, in the case that I'm talking about, this is an interpretive issue. That it's being interpreted. The law is being interpreted. The law was, the way it was written, the intent was, it appeared, the intent of Congress, they would be allowed to bid on a straight small business set aside, which is what I am. I'm a straight small business. I'm not a disadvantaged business. I'm not a woman-owned business. I'm just a small business. I'm not a service-disabled veteran-owned business, or uh, I might, might or might not be a hub-zone business. depends on the day. That being said, <laughs> they're qualified according to DOD's interpretation, and I believe the uh, General uh, Government Accountability Office ruled on this. They're qualified for all of it. They took the way it was written and decided 
GAO did that they're allowed to be qualified for all of it. So they can offer on hub zone set-asides, on service-disabled veteran-owned set-asides, and win and take it away. And again, it's all being done very quietly. It's not. There's no public outcry because, quite frankly, I don't think the public knows about it. The public does not. I think they'd be very upset well, if they knew about it, but we can't seem to get I, the information out there enough. I, th- I think with any kind of luck, now, this is Tuesday. Last Friday, they had that national event where as many as 24 states and 50 prisons were involved, where there was a work stoppage for several hours during the course of the day uh, to bring to the, uh, to the market, to the, the public, the fact that this is going on, uh, unfair uh, uh, labor uh, issues, uh, salary or no salary, um, and I don't think the numbers are in yet as to what occurred on Friday, but we'll be uh, reporting on that, uh, I'm assuming, also. Uh, but that is the beginning of – I mean, that story did make CNN, uh, uh, the Internet site, a big article on last Thursday night. So they are beginning to get it out. Whether or not there's enough people that care is another matter. Um, well, one time we um, actually was on Fox, Fox and Friends three or four years ago where we mm-hmm. had a particular event taking place that was FPI-related where it appeared they were going to do the same thing to me again. And I went to our U.S. senator from Kentucky, and they suggested that maybe if I went on television, maybe it would help. And one morning I went on Fox and Friends, and if if any any of your listeners have ever seen it, they know it's kind of a hyped-up thing early in the morning. And um, it worked. Three days after I appeared on, on television, uh, Federal Prison Industries backed off, decided they were not going to take that product away from us. Wow. A week later, I went back on, went back on Fox and Friends because they wanted to gloat about how it actually worked was successful. Now, all all that being said, what we did notice at the time is we got a tremendous number of calls from just private citizens. They they heard the they, they heard where the plant was and we just started getting calls at the plant, what could they do to help? Media attention is a really terrific thing if you can get it. If right. people will actually focus. It that that seems sure. to be something that we haven't been able to generate enough of up to now. Well, it it comes back to the fact that there's not enough people that care. And you talk about the mainstream uh, media for the most part. If it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. And, you know, you're just a small manufacturing guy who, at best, our government treats manufacturing as a the ugly little stepchild. Uh, no, no question. I and don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, and, and we represent 20% of the GDP. But there's no focus on that. The media doesn't focus on companies like mine or conversations like this. That's not why you're here. Not yet. Well, That's we're hoping that here. this – every time I do these, I hope that it's going to change people's thinking and other people are going to get passionate about something like this that's just wrong. 
It is uh, I mean, clearly wrong. Uh, prisoners I think can do other things. There are things that prisoners can do that don't take work away from taxpayers. There are other things that can be done for prisoners to keep them busy, and they right. know I what think, they are. Yeah, clearly they do. And, and the important point is here, it's not just manufacturing that's being impacted because some of the service offerings of Unicor include call centers where you call to make a hotel reservation or some other kind of a purchase, and you're giving the individual on the other end of the phone your name, address, city, state, zip code, credit card number, social security number, whatever they happen to ask for. Scares the hell out of me. And it turns out that some of those are inmates in prisons who may be there for uh, fraud, embezzlement, and we're talking federal prisons, so they could very easily be in for fraud and embezzlement. Uh, and credit you know, fraud. The American people are just kind of sitting back going, we trust our government. They wouldn't lie to us. Uh, and tragically, there's some ugly things going on in government that the American people need to wake up and put an end to. And that's where it's got to happen. It's got to be a grassroots screaming match at, from we the people to our elected what i call our elected misrepresentatives because you know we we uh, had the boston tea party because we were being taxed without representation now we're simply being taxed with misrepresentation this well, how about crazy, we, Mike. how about if we start a manufacturer's walk on the mall Don't laugh. That's how these things get started. That's how a lot of things get started. Um, Lobbying days. um, Trying to. I mean, you bring up the political side of it. I I think the current environment is that the public seems to want some sort of a change in leadership. I don't know who that's going to be. But there seems certainly to be not just in our country and in other countries. They want something different, something to change the dynamic as we have it now, like this, where things like this just perpetuate themselves and nothing ever changes. We can hope that something changes in Washington, that our leadership changes to the point where somebody actually stands up and fixes problems like this. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, in, in the uh, Republican uh, uh, primary, I was hoping that somebody would come in who was, you know, the common man. Our system simply squeezes those guys out. And frankly, my father said to me years and years ago, anybody who wants the job as president of the United States must be nuts. Because it's a miserable process to have to go through to try to get elected. They, they just eviscerate you and your family and your lifestyle and your history and just everything about you. This is hardly how we should be selecting the president of the United States. I'm not sure Trump's the guy, but he, when he says it's a rigged system, America, wake up. It's a rigged system, and it's getting worse. And I don't know where it's going to end. Taking a look at it from a a solution side, I'm just going to throw throw this out and let you guys chew on it here. Uh, Let's say, miraculously, we can get the DEA to change the uh, uh, rating of marijuana. What do they call that? Uh, Schedule one drug. 
Thank you. Uh, get them to change that. And uh, so it's no longer a, uh, a, a criminal uh, act. That would probably start reducing the level of prisoners in the prisons and also release the low ones, low-end charges that are already in prison. Get them into training programs, a real training program, like Mm -hmm. uh, companies are doing all over the country now, setting up, you know, like four or five, six companies get together and start a a training center for uh, machining and so on. Put these guys in, get them a job, get them working. The only problem is the government is going to be stuck with empty prisons, and they're not making right, money at it. So the government, we're now competing as a people uh, against the government, and this is why the NRA is so strong because the Second Amendment was made so that when the government gets too powerful over the people, the people can take the government back. And that's why the Second Amendment exists. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And good luck going up against the government who will sick the United States military on us. You know, in oh, Duke absolutely. Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're writing our own science, sci-fi movie here. You know, yeah, the, the, clearly. I mean, think about it. You can project this whole thing into a sci-fi movie. And, and that's and the I direction to go to make change. Yeah, and, and I hope the listeners understand that your jobs are in jeopardy. To your own government. The guys who are taking a 30-year paycheck now intend to take the whole paycheck. <laughs> so, unfortunately, Yes, eventually, slowly, so that you don't quite notice the pain, so that you don't quite, uh, you're not quite able to do the things you do now. And, I mean, that's how it happens. And if you look back in history at every great uh, government, they all collapse. And they collapse through government corruption, which i got to believe this is bordering pretty much on government corruption. This is kind of ugly to do to people who are incarcerated, and it's ugly to do to American manufacturers, which is why Lou and I got into this conversation. Uh, American manufacturers are losing their businesses. You've closed a plant. Eighty-five people are out of work. And people say, eh, it's only 85 people. It's 85 people at that plant. It's happening all over the country. Wake up, America. What about what about GE in Wisconsin moving to Ontario, putting in a two billion dollar plant, taking three hundred and thirty jobs with them as of two weeks ago, yep. and it's all because GE couldn't get a uh, a loan from XM Bank over ten million dollars because of one man. Richard Go ahead, Timmy. Shelby, yes, the senator from Alabama who sits in the chair of the banking committee who refuses to put anybody forward to create the quorum for the XM Bank so they can do loans over $10 million because he personally doesn't think it ought to exist even though 318 congressmen voted for it. So, you know, the will of the people, again, has been ursiped. Michael, um, any other comments you want to share with us on your particular pain that you've experienced with dealing with FPI? Well, I I think in kind of a summary what our trade association has asked, what we've asked the candidates to do is go within Congress 
adjust the law so, number one, they cannot be considered a small business or be allowed to offer on small business set-asides or hub zone set-asides or anything else, and two, to cap the volume that they're allowed to take instead of it being where they are right now, which is essentially an unlimited amount. Mm-hmm. There is no limit on the level of work that they can take, none. I mean, I heard a story the other day that the – I don't know if he's the, the president of FPI or the leader or what the term for him would be, but that he actually flew on a private jet down to see a potential commercial source for work in Mississippi and was bragging about how they're um, expanding their business into the commercial market so nobody can touch them. <laughs> and it's a little can... frightening when you hear something like that. That he flew on a private jet and was bragging to a a private manufacturer how they can do just about anything they want. Well, at 23 cents an hour, with no workers' comp, no health care, no taxes, no nothing, you can do anything you want, can't you? And you also don't have employees that call in sick. Yeah, and and, (laughs) as you all put it, an unlimited supply of labor. An unlimited supply of labor, and oh, by the way, it's legal and we're the guys making the laws that's nice that makes exactly. me feel comfortable well, as an american citizen you perpetuate a system that's already bad so going back to what one of you said the system is rigged it's a totally rigged system so maybe the one presidential candidate is right when he talks about the system being rigged which you yeah, can't get beyond yeah it, it's a messy tragedy uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, we'd like to have uh, for our listeners, if they want to be able to reach out to you, uh, if you have an email address you'd like to share, please do so. Yeah, it's um, pac500 at aol.com. Pac500 at aol.com. And if be anyone's interested, respond. I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah, I said I'd be happy to respond want. to anybody that is interested. Great. And great. by and by the way, another word to our listeners, if you want any information on this topic and uh you'd like to hear more from us about it, kindly send an email to us at uh info at mfgtalkradio.com. Now if any of you want to read the flowery flowery language that was cleverly written by somebody who was very good in marketing, go to Unicor.gov. That is Unicor's website. And these people have a, have brilliant writers. I have to tell you, they look as benevolent as Santa Claus. Uh, and if you look there, you will find what Lou found, their 42-page catalog of jobs they're going to take from you. So read it carefully, folks, because it's coming. Okay, uh, I, I think we uh, have a, a, a wrap here uh, for today, um, and I want to thank uh, Michael for joining us. And uh, Michael, if you have uh, any future issues regarding this, uh, you know, please contact us. We'd be happy to uh, air your story and share your pain. Uh, um, thanks a lot for having me, and uh, let's hope, our, let's our hope we did some good today. Uh, we're gonna run, we're gonna run it up the flagpole. We've got a, one more show. We may do a fourth, uh, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I know we're making noise. We're hearing it. We're hearing about it. 
our social media is uh, very active on this topic. And so we're getting the message out. Whether it gets to the right people is another story. Well, on behalf of myself and my trade association, we appreciate the forum and having the ability to get the story out there. Well, we appreciate you, having you. Uh, we, we've been speaking with Michael Nance, who's CEO and President of Pennsylvania Apparel, and uh, we appreciate him being on the show. We want to share with our listeners who are in the manufacturing industry, if you have an issue you're struggling with, with the federal government, whether it's regulation or something with Unicor or FBI, something that's causing your business great pain, costing America jobs, we want to hear from you at Manufacturing Talk Radio. Please send us something at info at mfgtalkradio.com. And that wraps us up for this edition of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.